told this story a long time ago. I don't know if anybody here even remembers it. There was a ship captain, and he was out at night in his big ship, and he happened to see a light on the horizon. And so he radioed to that, whoever was listening, um, alter your course 10 degrees south. And the response was, alter your course 10 degrees north. He was a little miffed, so the captain sent another message, and he said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a captain. And the person replied, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a seaman, third-class Jones. Now the captain's really miffed. So he says, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And the response was, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. We don't like people telling us what to do, which is what people in authority are actually sometimes required to do. We like being in charge. We like to have the authority. We'd, we're good with that part of it, but we don't like authority when it's over us. And yet, there's all kinds of authorities over us. Every time you get pulled by a police officer, there's an authority over you. If you're in the hospital and an administrator tells you where you cannot go, there's an authority over you. If you're in a classroom and a teacher tells you what you can or can't do, there's another authority. And I could go on and on, but you understand. But just like it was appropriate to end Psalm 19 with those words, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight in light of the heavens, it's also appropriate when you understand that the one who created you and me has authority over us, the appropriate response is to gladly submit to that authority. The authority of the one who whom made it possible for you to breathe, to be here, to live, to laugh, to cry, to be about who it is to be human. Well, this is the theme of today's message. We're answering the question, where does Jesus get his authority? Because the scriptures actually are going to ask that question. So uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day are going to say, Where are you, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus has been busy. Remember last week we said he's down to the last eight days of his life before the cross and the resurrection, and um, he is busy in Jerusalem. He comes in riding on a donkey for, for um, uh, fulfilling the scriptures in Zechariah 9 that would be written of the, the actual um, Messiah. That was pretty, pretty audacious, but he didn't stop there. The people praised him as if he was the Messiah. Hosanna, son of David, and he didn't tell them to be quiet. Then he goes into the temple and he clears the temple because he knows what's happening there isn't of God. And he's just getting warmed up. Then he heals the blind and the lame, and nobody in Scripture has ever healed the blind. Jesus heals blind people. He heals the lame in the temple, because now they can get in because the, some of the other nonsense has been chased off. And then he's, the next morning he gets up and he's teaching in the temple. So they've had enough. The religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders of the people, they come and they ask Jesus a question. This is where we pick it up in Matthew 21 because we're working our way through the book of Matthew. We have been and we will continue. Verse 23 is where we're going to start. And this is how it continues. Matthew writes, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, 
the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? Meaning, why didn't you believe John the Baptist? But if we say of, of, of human origin, well, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John the Baptist was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And so it kind of feels like on the surface, oh, so we just wasted a bunch of time here listening to no answer. But in fact, Jesus answers the question. He answers the question by the question he asked. And we're going to dig down. I'm going to show you that briefly. And then he gives three parables that also answer the question, two of which we'll look at today. So with that, I would like to pray. And then we're going to turn to John 1. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to you at least in our heads, acknowledging that you are our creator and that you have all authority to give to whomever you want. And that we know that at least the right answer, the Sunday school answer, is that we submit to you. But Lord, if we're honest, we don't really like that word submit at all. We might say the right things, but, Lord, we struggle to live that way. So, Lord, I pray that today you would clarify for us who is our ultimate authority and why would we submit to that authority at all, much less gladly. And I know that through these words you will do just that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So hold your place here, and we're going to flip to John 1 briefly. And in John 1, verse 23... Jesus is going to give us a snapshot of some words that John the Baptist said after Jesus had already been baptized, okay? And I don't know how far after, so um, I can't tell you the answer to that. Um, But I would imagine it's been at least 40 days because if you remember from Matthew's account, he's baptized and then the, the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness where he is fasts for 40 days and nights in the wilderness by himself and is tempted by Satan himself. So I'm thinking that much time has passed. Jesus is now beginning his public ministry. And John says this. Now remember, the book of John is written by one of the 12 disciples of John, not by John the Baptist, but he's talking about John the Baptist here. So I know that that could be confusing. So I'm going to just read verse 23. Uh, Actually, I'll start in 22. Finally, they said, they being the religious leaders, to John the Baptist, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They're trying to figure out who John the Baptist is. He's doing all this work at the, he's baptizing people. He's preaching, repent, repent, repent. People are hearing the message and are repenting and getting baptized. So they're like, who are you? Verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. So he's quoting Isaiah. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So basically, he's saying, I'm the forerunner of the Lord. The Lord is coming. Okay, and they would have understood Lord as God somehow coming as Messiah, whatever that means, because I'm not sure they had much clarity around that. Now, go down to verse 29, and it continues. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming. Now, John, remember, is related to Jesus. He's six months older than their cousins. I don't know what their first cousins. They're cousins. And, And they would have known each other, even though I don't know how much time they spent together. So he sees Jesus coming. What I don't know is if he realizes who Jesus is yet until, well, actually, by now he would know because the baptism's already occurred and something happens that he's going to mention. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, and he's saying this to the people on the banks that he's, that are, he's preaching to, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay? So he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. And if you remember from the Old Testament, you know that one of the main sacrificial animals used in the sacrificial system was a lamb. And that that was a foreshadowing or foretelling of one who would come and be the ultimate sacrifice so that none of that would need to continue. And that's who Jesus is, and he's called that for that reason. Look, this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, how could Jesus be before Jesus? John, if he was born six months later, unless he existed and was alive before John as God himself. So there there we have it, all right? Then he says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water, which was a question of the religious leaders, was that he, Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. So this is Jesus' coming out party, okay? And then it says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove or like a dove and remain on him. We don't know if it was an actual dove. We don't know if it was just this light that looked like a dove. We don't know if, if you know, God was using light and trying to make, you know, shadow puppets. I don't know. But the Spirit comes down like a dove and remains on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. So this would have been before he was baptizing him. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on the one will, who will baptize is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, baptize means to immerse, to immerse with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one, quoting Isaiah 42.1. God's chosen one. This isn't just a man we're talking about. This isn't just a man claiming to be king and trying to rally the, the people to become a king. This is God in the flesh. God put on earth suit, if you will, okay? And so John is just... So, when Jesus says to the religious leaders, let me ask you a question. What, about, what do you think about John's baptizing people? By whose authority did he? Okay, and then he's the, all of this is in play. And they would have known some of this, if not all of it. But just in case they didn't get that, Jesus gives them a couple parables to make it very clear where he stands and where they stand and that they are not in the same place. So let's see. Did I finish reading that? They discuss it among themselves. Verse 25, John's baptism, where did, back in Matthew, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it, the religious leaders, they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe in him? Why didn't you believe him? That is John the Baptist. But if we say of, of human origin, we are afraid of the people for they all hold that John was a prophet. And of course, we know Jesus later said he's the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Isaiah, greater than you name it, 
right? He is the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. So they answered, we don't know. And then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Then he goes into this parable. What do you think? I love Jesus using questions all the time. There was a man who had two sons. Now, this is a parable. Remember, this is a fictional what if. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. wonder if we've ever had any kids do that in our houses. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. I know we've had kids in our homes that have done that. Which of the two did what the father wanted? That's the question. There's the question. Which one obeyed? The first, they answered. Jesus, that's, and that would be correct. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, which is his way of saying, get out your highlighter, get out your pen, write this down in your journal. Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Who's he talking to? The religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders of the people, the ones who run Israel. Okay, King Herod was a part of that, I understand. But they ran the religious system, and at the end of the day, which of the, okay? Now, who are the tax collectors and prostitutes, okay? If you could pick two groups of people in Israel who were the most offensive in the eyes of the religious hierarchy, it would be hookers and traitors, okay? And they are going to, Jesus is saying it, They're entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Verse 32, for John came to show you the way, John the Baptist came to show you the way of righteousness. Remember John's message? Repent, turn from your ways, turn to God's ways, turn away from the broad road that leads to destruction, find the narrow way that leads to life. Turn. John came to to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. Okay? But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So what is he saying? See if I can help clarify a little bit. He's saying you were more like the second son and they are like the first son. The first son said no to the words of their father, go work in the vineyard. The first son said no and then later went and worked in the vineyard. They, growing up in Israel, hearing the word of the Lord as tax collector and prostitute, said no to God's way, God's word. And then at the preaching of John the Baptist, they repented and obeyed. You see it? The Pharisees and the religious leaders heard the word of God and said, yes, Lord, publicly, uh, magnanimously, yeah, that word, all right, Uh, and all their robes and fancy uh, apparatus and all the religious system that goes with the ways of the the Jewish uh, orthodoxy. But they did not obey the things that mattered to God. They were the second son. And who gets in first? And who gets in at all? The first son. Now, we're not sure that they caught on to this yet because Jesus goes right into a second parable. So let's go to it. Listen to another parable. Jesus says he's on a roll. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, 
He put a wall around it. Okay, that would be to protect from like animals. You know how some of you fence your gardens. It's the same idea. And also those who would uh, avail themselves of the fruits and vegetables as they came off. In this case, grapes. Um, there's a wine press in it so you can turn this grape into something that can really make you money. Okay. And they built a watchtower, which gives you security. We're talking about a big-time enterprise. We're not talking about a little garden in your front yard. We're talking about acres and acres of vineyards. And, and we'll get back to what these things mean and symbolize, but let's, let's keep moving. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. So the farmers are tenants. Those are the same. Verse 35, the tenants seized his servants, and they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Okay? I guess you can stone somebody, and they may or may not die. We know from Acts that Paul at least survived one stoning. Then he sent, another, he sent other servants to them more than the first time, which seems crazy to me that they would do this, but there's a reason. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them, which to me is, is insanity in one level. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they, which I think is the idea that was probably practiced back then if you, if you took over someone's land, kind of squatter's rights. It, for at least for a while until the year of Jubilee, they may or may not have been able to get away with that. Apparently, they think they could. And things could have been in such that in such place in Israel that that was actually happening. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do? Okay, we'll come back to verse 40. Let's go back through this. Now, let me, let me explain the different... I, I, I don't wonder how many of these you picked out what they stand for, what they symbolize. So the, listen to the parable, another parable, there was a landowner. Okay, this is the master, the Lord. So you can kind of see there, the Lord is uh, the, the one who is symbolized by the landowner, the Lord God. A vineyard is symbolic of Israel, Isaiah 5. It's, it, it's, almost, it's almost like he took Isaiah 5 and made a story out of it, 5, 1 through 5 here, where we see uh, a vineyard, and, and that's partly because, you know, the fruit of the vine is, is a red juice, if you think of red grapes, and you remember that symbolizes the blood of Christ. And so you can kind of begin to see how all of this ties together. It's almost like God wrote it all down on purpose this way, you know? Um, okay, and then he says, uh, so you have all these things that he did to make the vineyard profitable and safe, and, and that's what he did for Israel, right? He rescued them from slavery, marched them into the promised land, gave them all this fruitful land where they could be productive and fruitful, and they'd have cities with walls already in place, and, and they would have everything they needed to, to defeat their foes. And then there's the harvest time, okay? Remember what we said a few weeks ago about what Israel's mission was? as the land bridge there right along the coast of the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea that made all trade other than across the Mediterranean Sea by ship all trade went through the land bridge from Eurasia to Africa. The only way through was through Israel's, that region. And so it gave, made that location strategically perfect for blessing people and showing them the way of, of the Lord as they were coming through on their way to trade as they would stop and stay and interact with Israelis, Jews, who were God-fearing and would show them compassionate hospitality. 
okay? So uh, the harvest time will, would re- represent not the harvest of fruit, but symbolically the harvest of souls by the blessing of the Lord on the nations. So this is how a, a small nation like Israel could influence the whole world without ever leaving where they are. And that's the Great Commission, okay? When this harvest time approached, he sent his servants, this would be the prophets, to the tenants, the religious leaders of Israel, to collect his fruit, basically to hold them accountable to do what they said they were going to do, which was grow a fruitful crop for his benefit, not theirs. Well, it's, you know, a win-win, but he owns it. The tenants, religious leaders, seized his servants the prophets, and if you read the Old Testament, you see this happen over and over and over again, and beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And they sent, then God continued to send prophets to Israel to make it so clear to all who would take the time to read this Holy Scriptures that God is very much behind what he's doing. He is not, he has a plan A, and there is no plan B as far as he's concerned. Last of all, he sent his son, and you can guess who that is. That's Jesus, and they will respect my son. No. But when the tenants, the religious leaders, saw the son, Jesus, they said to each other, this is the heir, which is correct. He is the one to receive all authority from God the Father, God the Son, receiving all authority from God the Father. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. There's the cross although they thought they could take the inheritance, and in fact, they were very wrong. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard. Interesting that Calvary is outside of Jerusalem, isn't it? And killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, who's the owner of the vineyard? The Lord, whose vineyard, Israel, right? He's the one who created them. He's the one that rescued them, and he's the Lord of them. What will he do to those tenants? Now, Jesus is asking the religious leaders this question. Watch how they answer He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Did they get it? Oh, they got it. They just didn't get their part. They didn't see themselves yet. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? There it is again. (laughs) Drop the mic, Jesus. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, Old Testament scriptures, you can find references to God as a rock over and over again. Jesus continues, the, those after Jesus continued to use this reference, this is a, a quote from Psalm 118. The stone, that's referring to Jesus, the builders rejected, the builders of the religious leaders, has become the cornerstone That's the stone you set first when you're building a a building back then, maybe even today. You set a stone, and everything is played off of that. You're surveying, and everything everything is measured from this point that is set precisely by the surveyor and that first block. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Again, Psalm 118, verse 43. Therefore, and remember, you ever see the word therefore, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? I tell you that the kingdom of God, this is what it's about, folks. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's looking at the religious leaders who just gave the right answer without even realizing they were condemning themselves. I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, collective singular, who will produce its fruit because you're not. 
you're not producing the fruit of righteousness that Israel is supposed to be revealing to the world so that as they come through the land bridge, that the compassionate hospitality will change their lives and change the world by, by default or by result. Anyone who falls on this stone, that is Jesus, will be broken to pieces, and anyone who falls on, on whom it falls will be crushed. So what is he saying? He's saying that there's a kingdom that I am building And Israel was my chosen nation to reveal this kingdom to the world, and this nation is not doing that because its leaders are not doing that. And so I'm sending my son, my one and only son, who, yes, like the parable said, will be killed by those leaders, but that is not going to lead to an inheritance for them, but an inheritance for the nations, okay, because through that death will come resurrection, and I will replace your kingdom, Israel, little leaders, with my kingdom, and it will become visible through the name of that kingdom, which is called the church, the people of God. And if you know um, of military terms, uh, in American military terms, um, the base, temporary bases that are put out near the edge of the battlefield are called FOBs, forward operating bases. And I've heard it defined that the church is our, the church is, the local churches are the, um, the outward basis of the extension of the kingdom. We are advancing. To the extent that we advance, we advance the kingdom. That's our job. That's our mission. It's why he hasn't taken us home yet, right? If he saves us, why wouldn't he just take us home? I mean... If that's why he saved us, to be with him in a right relationship with God, why wouldn't God just take us home? Because he's not done with us. He has a mission. Because there are others who don't yet know him. And who will do that? Who will reveal that? Who will share that good news? And so it ends with when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Okay, they figured it out. They caught up, and they aren't happy. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they, once again, it says they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet, just like they held that John the Baptist was a prophet. The people had eyes to see and ears to hear. They were open-hearted enough to receive and believe. Not all of them, but the early church, the first followers were all Jews. Many Jews from all over the Roman Empire that had come for the the, the feast that the Passover is a part of, I can't remember the name of it, they all come to Jerusalem. And so while that's happening, we have the resurrection and then Peter and the disciples and who now are called the apostles after being in the upper room waiting on the Holy Spirit, it all starts to come together. Peter steps out in Acts chapter 2. He preaches the gospel and 3,000 are added to their number and the church explodes into its first day of growth. To do what? To what end? To gladly submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as he carries out his kingdom mission through them. Kingdom mission. All right, I got another rerun. All right, this is an appropriate day since it was raining when I got here, and I know this is bad luck, but not in God's house. Okay, all right, so we know what this is for when it's raining or if there's a lot of sun and you don't want to perspire, uh, you get under this, and it helps relieve you from that from above, right? I, I can walk in the rain and not get real wet. 
I can walk in the sun and I have some shade. But if I were to walk down the street like this, you would probably laugh at me, okay? And you would go, why are you carrying an umbrella and then not using it, okay? And I would say, well, this is a picture of the authority of God. And God has authority, and it exists whether you like it or not, and it's out there. And God calls you and I to step under that authority, to receive the benefit of that authority. Because authority is not a bad word. It's a good word to those who submit to it, to those who gladly step underneath and find relief from what the world is dumping on us. But we have a choice. We can walk down the road like this. We can try to pretend it's not there, act like it doesn't matter. We can carry our little umbrellas and try to hold those over other people because we want to be in charge. But God says, no, no, I'm calling you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me into this kingdom mission. It's not just follow me. It's follow me in all things. This is the... This is the uh, this is the, the, the main thing that we're talking about, right? God has given Jesus. Where did Jesus' authority come from? It came from God. It came from God the Father, and he gave him all authority. Now, we'll see it when we get to the end of Matthew. Matthew 28, 18, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said those words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and then continues to define what that looks like. The command, okay? Yes, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love God, love people, right? That's the great command. He commanded us to do that. What's the best way to love somebody? It's Christ. That's the great commission. It this way, whether you like him or not, is uh, teaching them the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, and that will build a great church. I messed up the quote. Because that takes us home. This is what we're called to do. Are you gladly submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you, are you saying I submit to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the second son did that, and then he didn't do it. Are you gladly submitting to? Are you submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ? See, I got more specific. We don't have to really answer the question. I'm asking you a very specific question. Jesus made it very clear. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, religious leaders, who produce its fruits, who will say and do the right things. Not in that order. What are the right things? To live, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Micah 6, 8. That's how we do it. That's Old Testament. If, you're all, if, you, if you want that, there you go. There's some Old Testament, Micah 6.8. But it's the gospel. So here's my question. Are you submitted to God in that way? Because if we're not, then we, need some, we have some repenting to do. Otherwise, you're just a good-looking American. 
or wherever you're from. And God didn't save us to be good people. He saved us to show and tell the good news around the corner and around the world for his glory and our good. Starting with the people who are close to you, but far from God. Some of those people are believers but don't go to church. They're, they're, they've kind of walked away from the church because the church has disappointed them. And maybe for good reason. You're here for them. And some of them don't know the Lord yet, and you're here for them too. Most of the 800,000 people in the Charleston metro area, most of them do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Besides them, there are many who go to church that have not, are not submitting to the Lord's authority. They're not living under the umbrella of God's authority, and so they're missing out. They're, they're, it's, the world is raining on them, and it's not extending the kingdom. It's just what we're all called to. But you know what? I can't control what those folks do, right? You can't control what people in other places do. We can get upset. We can fret. But that's not our main concern. Our main concern is looking in the mirror and asking ourselves the question, have I submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in word and deed? And in either order, I'll take it. And if you say yes, then I will ask this question. If you said yes, I've submitted, are you gladly submitted to him yet? Are you, is the, has the emotion caught up yet? Because I'm glad that you're doing it by grace through faith. But I want you to get to the place where you are glad to serve him, careful, because it costs us to serve him in that way. It costs us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It costs us. Now, at the end of the day, right, the best is yet to come, and to lose everything in this world is to gain Christ, to live as, uh, to live as, to die as gain, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Philippians, somewhere, right? Okay, so obviously this is a, an incredibly in-your-face message when it comes to what we're talking about here. It's not my message, it's the Lord's message, and I'm just trying to say, be honest with yourself long enough to do something about this. If, this is not, if you're not where you believe you need to be, just humbly go to the Lord and say, I'm not where I need to be. I'm kind of faced this way. And I don't want to be faced towards the broad road that leads to destruction. That's where most people are going. And if you feel like life is going easy and I'm going with the flow, this is where you are. If you feel like you're swimming upstream or maybe just standing in a raging river and just trying to stand still on a rock and everything is blasting you, at least you're, you're holding firm, standing firm, which I believe is a pretty good Bible phrase, stand firm in the Lord, and you're facing the narrow way. That's what we do. That's what we're called to. And it's hard, which is why we need each other, which is why we need to be on our faces and and praying before the Lord. We'll do that tonight at 630 again as a church. Come together, prayer tonight. Pray for the city that we live in and to pray for the church of Charleston that God has planted here in all the local campuses throughout the city to do what I just said, to what Jesus just called us to. The mission. That mission starts with just making it very clear here at the end. How do I enter that? I want to be a part of that. I want to submit to my creator. Well, how do I do that? Well, we do it through a word of prayer that is based on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God who came to die for your sins and mine so that we could live for him. And you say, I want that then that means I'm turning away from my life 
agenda, my life dreams, and I'm turning and I'm embracing whatever he has for me. Count the cost. It's a free gift, but it costs us to live it out. This is what he calls us to. And you have a decision to make. Am I going to surrender, which means everything I have in my hands, I'm letting go of, right? If you're in war and somebody comes up behind you and says, stick your hands up, that means drop what you have. And, you know, if we drop everything that we have in our self-confident American culture where we have and own so much, we would probably freak out. Okay, just if I had the time, I would say grab your wallet and grab your keys. Hold them. Now surrender to God. What would you do? Right? What would we do? Would we just, I'm not going to drop them right here in front of everybody. And yet he calls us, he's already called us to do that. I surrender all. We like to sing the song because it makes us feel better. But he says, do it. Don't just say it. Lord, um, as, we, as we hear this very challenging word, I just pray you'd help us not get too distracted too quickly and not deal with the issue in front of us. You're calling us to surrender to you through your son, Jesus. And I'm praying that all over this room today, in our heads and our maybe even literally lift our hands open now in the air and just as a sign of, I want to surrender everything to you, Lord, because you are worthy. And I gladly submit to your authority, your word, your ways, and your works. I submit today, right now. I want to be, I want to live my life under the umbrella of your perfect but I, in the flesh, do not want to do that. Lord, help me get back on track. Show me how to get back on track. That I might please you in everything. I and for those that have never prayed a prayer to receive Christ, that's what we just did. Lord, we are surrendering our lives to you. For me, it's again. For others in the room, it could be the first time. I surrender my life to you as Lord and Savior, not just Savior. Lord and Savior, because I've been bought with a price. And I pray that you will give me the strength, the power, and the discipline, and the wisdom to know how to do that and to keep